related to the foreign fighters that have been invited to Ukraine to fight in Russia. And at least by one report, some 16,000 men from around the world have, have showed up in the Ukraine to join their army and to help them fight. Uh, some of that's unsubstantiated. They're not sure exactly how many, because as you read the report, uh, some are skipping all of the protocols to get, in, to get like, signed up, and they're just going straight to the front line and looking to join in. And others are going through the processes uh, that are there to, to figure out what skills they might have and, and where best to employ them. And in the Reuters report that I was reading about, it, it was asking and looking at some of the, um, the questions that we would all ask is like, why, why are people going? Why, why are some of the, what are the reasons some people are going? And they're giving lots of reasons like, you know, some of them are, are former military and they have, they feel like they have these skills that are uh, unusable at home and they can contribute. They're, they're trained and they, they can go and, and they, can, they can serve in that way. Others uh, are recognizing there's a cause. There's a, there's a just cause right in front of them that's very obvious and visible that they can participate in. They don't have that opportunity at home. Um, w- one man was interviewed. He's, he's a man from, uh, from Chicago named Michael. And he said that there were a lot of Ukrainians in his, in his, ta- in his hometown in Chicago that he, that he knew. And so he just said, I wanted to help out. So he flew over there, and he was in, he was in Ukraine, and... Uh, Reuters met him there as he was getting signed up to, to go to the front line. He was waiting on a train that was about to take him to the front line. And he, they quoted him as saying, I'm a little nervous, to be honest. Um, and then he, he went on and he said, but at the same time, it's not about me. It's about the people that are suffering. And it's interesting because all of us see something like that and you say, well, what would, what would compel someone to step into somebody else's fight and risk everything? And that's what these guys are doing. And in many ways, that's a very Christian idea. Uh, Jesus steps into our fight. He also steps into God's fight. And, and he, he takes on himself what doesn't belong to him. The, the, the reproaches that belong to God, our text says, fall on him. And also, the reproaches that are being given are the reproaches that we give. We're the ones who, who give those reproaches. We're the ones who insult God with our sin. And Jesus steps in between that, and he accepts that himself. That's what our, our verse tonight uh, is about. If you take notes, uh, I think the, the big idea here is that we would, we would and should follow the pattern of faithfulness. That we would follow the pattern of faithfulness. And there's two things that I want to kind of use to draw drive that home with us is the first one is zeal for God is the source of scorn. Zeal for God is the source of scorn. But then secondly, zeal for God is the source of strength. Zeal for God is the source of strength. Let me read the verse again. Verse nine, because zeal for your house has consumed me and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me because of the fact that we live in a fallen world, what should be good produces what is bad. So, so zeal for God is good. The whole world, everything in it and every person here should have zeal for God. But we don't. People don't. We, the, the fall of mankind, the presence of sin, makes it where we don't naturally have zeal for God. 
And people are opposed to him, actually. So what is good produces what's bad, insults. Insults towards God. Because we, we as ourselves, as sinners, outside of Christ, and people who don't yet know Jesus, they are confronted by the holiness of God, by the presence of his existence, and it offends sinners. And so sinners insult God with their mouth, with their heart, with their mind, with their actions, with their tongues. So what is good produces what is bad. But for the Christian, for the Christian, what is bad in this life now is actually good. So if you are insulted for the name of Christ now, that's actually good. What is bad is to be insulted. Nobody wants to be insulted ever. But if you are insulted for Christ, because of the fallen nature of the world, that's now a good thing. Because zeal for God produces the scorn that belongs to God from sinners, and it's targeted on God. And anybody who associates with the Lord will, will suffer the same kind of insults that, that he does. This verse was quoted in our passage this morning, Romans 15, 3, as an example of how Jesus didn't please himself, but rather pleased his father. The example that Paul gives, he just cites it. He's, 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 he's uh, exhorting us to not please ourselves. And he says, just like Jesus Christ, this is what he did. He, he didn't please himself, but the insults that belonged to the father fell on him. And then later, in that same passage from this morning, in Romans 15, verse 8, Jesus became a servant to the circumcised. So the same action pleased God and blessed us. And I think that's what you'll see come out in these these two ideas that we have here. Jesus is the example of faithfulness to us. He did not please himself, but he pleased God. And the result is that God is glorified. He was glorified. He is glorified. Jesus was faithful And we, as believers in Jesus, are beneficiaries of his sacrifice. So his act of receiving insults that didn't belong to him glorifies God, is faithfulness for him, and is is a gift to us. We benefit from that. That same pattern, I think, is what we are called to in following his example. We will glorify God, we will be faithful, and, and others will benefit if we are willing to receive the insults that belong to God. David, in this passage, does not rejoice in his persecution as someone with a martyr complex. In his passion to follow the Lord faithfully, it put him at odds with those in his generation. That is, or this is, the one who is hated for the name of Jesus It's the reason to rejoice in such circumstances because we ultimately associate with Jesus. So I'll come back to that, but just think about some of the words that are here. He says at the beginning in verse 9, he says, zeal for your house uh, has consumed me. Zeal is often sometimes translated or often translated jealous in the Old Testament. But it's it's jealous in the good sense. It's it's that sense of protection, protecting what is right and holy. Um, another word that's sometimes uh, used to convey the meaning of this word is devotion. So devotion to and love for God's people. And then the example that you have in places uh, throughout, like in 2 Kings chapter 10, you have Jehu, who uh, at Elijah's word goes and is striking down all of Ahab's men. So this wicked king 
who is seeking to ultimately fight a war against God and lead people to worship idols and betray God and end up in hell, at the word of Elijah, Jehu attacks and it's zeal for God. At one point he says, come and see my zeal. And so he, he goes from there and he fights this holy war, as it were. Jesus, uh, his disciples remembered this passage when he cleared the temple. And, they, and it says there in John chapter 2 that, that his disciples then remembered that what is written in the scriptures, that zeal for your house has consumed me. So zeal for the Lord is devotion to him. It's commitment to the holy ways of God. It's commitment to his truth. It's commitment to him being king. Now, think about it. He says that it consumed me. Literally, it's, it's eaten me up. I'm sure all of us have been eaten up by something at some point. There's, there's been something that has so gripped you or overcome you, whether it was sinful anger that just consumes you, or it's joy about something, or it's excitement that is so exciting you can't believe it, and it just consumes you. It, it, it overtakes your thoughts. It drives your heart. It, 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 it's what you think of when you wake up. It keeps you up. Maybe at night, maybe you dream about it. It, it consumes you. Zeal for God, he says, eat, ate him up in a good way. So zeal's the, the, the passion, passion as righteous in the world. It's a, it's a passion to see God honored as righteous in my life, in your life. You remember 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us that anyone who desires to live godly in this life will suffer persecution. Well, this, this word here in this, this passage in, in Psalm 69 is showing us the same thing, which true at the time of David. If you desire to live godly, you will suffer his reproaches. So one way that you want to apply this is to, is to know that. So, so the way I headed this is zeal for God is the source of scorn. The first thing you need to do is just know that. It, if you're going to follow the Lord, the Bible promises that his insults will end up on you in, 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 some, in some form. A lot of times we try to avoid that. America, we've been able to avoid that uh, at times in our lives. But as the culture we live in becomes more secular and more pagan, that's, that's harder and harder to avoid. Notice what it does in his life. Notice that it's the reproaches or the insults that belong to God from his enemies that fall on his servant. The first time I read this, I just assumed this has to do with our uh, uh, insults falling on Jesus in a substitutionary way. Uh, but this is actually, and of course we know Jesus is doing that, but, but these are actually the directives against God that are at attacks against him. And, and, and Jesus is the innocent, essentially, who, who is attacked because he's the representative of God as he speaks God's words as the son of man on the earth. Think about this, verse 7, he says, dishonor has covered my face. And the dishonor comes from the people who attack God. Verse 8 puts him at odds with his own family. He says, I become a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons. It's as if the Lord's servant here has done something worthy of being renounced by his family. And it's because he, he, he's following the Lord. Uh, in, in verses 10 through 11, he becomes the object of backroom disgust. This is a huge fear people have. Fear of being thought of as weird or, or silly or a fanatic. 
Now compare what this is holding out for us and the example Jesus gives with us, to us with the way we often uh, say or, or just think, like, like I don't want to be awkward. <laughs> Sometimes we're worried about being awkward in a room. But the example we have is that Jesus takes the insults of God to the point of crucifixion. That's the example we have. So what do we do with that? Well, know that if you follow the Lord, you will suffer his reproach. Expect this. Embrace this. Glorify God in it. The second thing that um, I gave you as a heading is zeal for God is the source of strength. It's also a source of strength. So it's not, it's not just adopting, well, they're going to insult me. But it's recognizing that there is power and joy and, and pleasure in God to be in that place. And that is a source of strength. David, in this psalm, he cries out to God, in his, to the God of his zeal. The reproaches or insults that he received actually brought him near to God. So think about this. We try to avoid the reproaches of God or the insults that might come to us because we're afraid of what people think about us. But, but if we could only see that those insults might actually draw us near to God and you get more of God. If we could only see that, we wouldn't be afraid of what people think of us. We would be happy to be the object of people's insults that are directed at God. If you want to draw nearer to God, then enter into his reproaches. That's another way you can apply this. If you want to draw nearer to God, enter into his reproaches or his insults. Solidarity with the company of saints is before you. The benefits of those who went before us and of the community of Jesus is in the church. So one of the things we're doing together as a body, as a corporate body, weekly, both here as we gather together, but also as we gather through the week, is we're trying to strengthen one another and lock arms so that we experience the solidarity in God. But we also have that in church history. So Hebrews talks about the, 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 the great cloud of witnesses that is before us. Let us then run the race with endurance, right? We have a, a two, and from where we sit, a 2,000 plus year history because we go all the way back to Abraham and Noah and Adam, right? So, so you have thousands of years of, of faithful brothers and sisters who have lived before us. And they set an example for us to join up with. And when you, wherever you are, if you're at work, if you're at home, you're in your neighborhood, you're down at the coffee shop, and, and you are in that moment where you feel the insults about to come and you're tempted to give in, you can remember, I have solidarity with the saints who went before me and with Jesus himself who accepted the insults that belonged to God and he took them on himself. That's strengthening. That's a source of strength. The temptation to avoid God's reproaches is the temptation to have a solidarity with God's enemies. Think about that. If, if bearing his insults makes us have solidarity with God and his people now and in ages past, then the temptation that we're wrestling with in a given moment where we don't want people to think we're weird is we're wrestling with either, either having solidarity with people who hate God or having solidarity with God and his people. That's what we're actually wrestling with. And when you think about it that way, it's so silly that we would ever not accept the insults that are directed at God. You would think, if we're, if we're thinking clearly about that, we would just always step into that. 
Say, I'm with the Lord. I'm with Jesus. You can put me with those people. Another thing to think about is that we, we, we should know that while we don't actually search for persecution, to be able to join God in his reproach is considered great honor and privilege. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. Be glad. Great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you hear the solidarity and the rejoicing and the reward that's coming? Hebrews 13, 12 and 13. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ... Well, no, that's not the right one. Hebrews 13, 12 and 13 is when um, he's, he's talking about how you stood side by side with those who were persecuted and in chains. Solidarity brought them out of their homes and exposed them to the risk of associating with Christians. The last thing here that you could put down as an application is that bearing scorn is life for others. Bearing scorn is life for others. For the one who's being insulted, it's painful. But oddly, the reproach is what brings life to others. So if you're being insulted and you're willing to stand up and, 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 and take that, there are people in the room. There are people who see that and will be strengthened by that. There are people who are weak and who are struggling, but they need someone else to say, I'll bear that. And when you do, they find strength. And so... When you're there sometimes and you're the first one to go, you feel the pressure of being the first one. And I just say to you, if, if, if the Lord would remind us in those moments, be that guy, be that girl. And what you'll find is others are blessed through it. Not just in that way also, but, but people come to faith that way. They see you testify and they go, huh. And they come to you afterwards. So we don't know all the ways that God might use something like that, but, but he does. And so know that, that bearing scorn is life for other people. So, so in that way, you can give your life up, uh, your reputation up, or whatever it is. Jesus' willingness to bear God's reproach makes us eternal beneficiaries of his sacrifice. So once again, Jesus stood in the gap and took the insults for, for, that belonged to God on him as if he deserved them. But he also, did it, he also did do it as a substitution for us so that our sins and our insults, which should be condemned and wrathfully avenged, are not and are actually forgiven because Jesus took it. And it becomes life for us. It becomes life for everyone who turns to God on that basis and trusts in him and devotes their lives to him. And the resurrection of Jesus becomes the power of our life so that you can actually do this. You can actually... Not worry about the insults that belong to God that might fall on you. If you're here tonight and you are not yet someone who is embracing Jesus in that way, I urge you to repent from your sins and escape the consequences of your insults to God on the basis of Jesus taking them on himself for you uh, in that way. I'd love to talk to you about that afterwards, uh, if that's you. So church, follow the pattern of faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and kindness to us in the way that you gently call us to you, to obedience, to faithfulness. And then you give us the example of Jesus to do so as well, the way he 
the way he exemplifies what, what you call us to. And so, Lord, we pray for strength. Pray that you would remind us of this verse. Lord, that you might help us to memorize this very simple verse, zeal for your houses consume me, and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me, and that would become something burned in our hearts, and that you would remind us of this verse the next time we're in the temptation to either have solidarity with you and your people or to have it with those who are opposed to you. And God, give us strength in that hour. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.